Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're returning to a topic that I've touched on a number of times, but it's been a while since we did a full episode on it. And after uh, Lady Ahab, A.K. Maiden, A.H. Ahab, a person of many different names, uh, but the awesome content creator and writer who joined me to talk about Moby Dick... One of the things we got into in that conversation was Moby Dick and disability. And this, I thought, was a great time really to talk about. We've been talking for a while about wanting to do a full episode on how disability is treated in science fiction and and fantasy and the kind of stories that geeks love. And I've had some stuff going on. They've had some stuff going on. And we thought this is just a great time to to really dive into it. So uh, let me just first say hello. Welcome. Uh, introduce yourself to those who haven't heard you before. Hi, thank you. Uh, my name is AK or Ahab. Um, I go by both in internet spaces. Uh, I am a recently graduated college student. I have a degree in philosophy um, with a rhetoric emphasis and you know an emphasis on disability studies as well. And now I'm doing marketing and communications for a you know liberal arts college in the West. So awesome, awesome. Well, you know I've always enjoyed your posting. Really enjoyed having you on for Ahab, and just thought this would be a great thing to to bring you back for. Thanks. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Let me start with what's going to be kind of a broad question, but I think it can kind of help set the tone for a lot of what we're talking about. I think we most of my listeners probably by this point agree that representation matters across the board, but I'd love to hear from you. Why do you think it's particularly important that we discuss representation and when it's done right and also when it's done really wrong in science fiction, superhero, fantasy, like the kind of stories that that we geeks tend to love? I think it starts with just a question of like basic human representation and needing to see people who look Mm -hmm. like us in various forms of media. I think sci-fi is a particular like media type where we're looking towards the future and worlds that we want and things that we're imagining and hoping to bring into being. And excluding disabled yeah. bodies and voices from that particular act of imagining is really harmful. And so evaluating when disability does show up and making sure that it's showing up regularly and in positive ways is really important. Because sci-fi specifically is like imagining a world that we're trying to bring into the present. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. One of the things that I think, the, the kind of thing that I first started to really notice the way disability is treated in science fiction is that so much of it, science fiction and also superhero media and things like that, so much of it is about the body. It's about either superpowers or or technology or maybe in more of a fantasy setting, magic, but it's about making the body be able to be a super soldier or able to do this physical thing or that physical thing. And you know, or or that's allowing you to be this like incredibly powerful knight or wizard or 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 witch or whatever it is. And so often in those stories, there's this idea of that part of what you're able to do is reach this idea of physical perfection. Mm -hmm. And I I get the idea of it, but I think there can be a really dangerous kind of, you know, subtext there of like, you know, because anything that's broken or bad with the body is, is, you know, playing into some of the worst kind of ideas of disability. And, um, you know, that like going back to things where like people thought disability was a sign of a curse from God or that, you know, you were unworthy or that... More recently, that you were, you know, like bad genetics, and so she'd be like written out of the gene code, and you know, all, all this kind of horrible stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely, I think that the the a lot of sci-fi is is me- incredibly medicalized, and so that you know what you're saying mm-hmm. about the body all makes sense. So the trajectory is then what is the ideal that we're striving for on a, like on a human level? Like what is the kind of perfectly imagined future for the human body? And 
how can we push the limits of that? And what is it? And then, you know, the moral message that gets roped in there is like, how do you be the best person you can morally? And then really tightly interconnect that with like these physical capabilities that are fantastical and beyond the scope of normalcy. Um, And I think it, to me, that whole, that whole thing explodes in a really particularly interesting way that on the one hand, erases a lot of disabilities that do exist now and maybe also creates disabilities that don't exist now in these mm-hmm. fantasy spaces and doesn't handle either particularly well historically, but we're starting to see it get handled better as people are becoming more conscious of these things. For sure. For sure. Like, do you watch The Boys? Mm-hmm. I love a lot of parts of that show, especially the idea that it's not like that there's four or five superheroes. It's like there's this entire group of of humanity that is and i think x-men also deals with this a little bit but i i i could easily understand and i think some of the superpowered people go to this route of basically feeling like not having a superpower is a disability Mm -hmm. that now that is the definition of physical health you know yeah i mean in discussions of social model of disability the idea has always been in a world where everyone can fly there are no stairs which makes anyone who can't fly unable to reach the second floor which is like an analogy that gets used a lot for wheelchair users which you know i myself am i know you use wheelchairs sometimes and i think that analogy transfers into sci-fi a lot of the time in particular ways Mm -hmm. and then there's just kind of no address of it yeah I, I'm really glad you brought that up because that, that was kind of the other point I was going to uh, move towards. You know, and just to – you have more of an academic background on this than I do. So let me kind of spell this out and I, I think this fits into the theory you're talking about or maybe it's just its own thing. But one of the ideas that I've really ho- uh, hopped on most in terms of disability theory is the idea that, you know, if you have a colorblind person or, you know, a person who has visual disabilities and they're having trouble reading something – the question is, like, do we fix their eyes mm-hmm. or do we fix the type font and the type print? That if a wheelchair-using person can't get into a building, do you fix the person or do you fix the building? Yeah. You know, and that this is – I I tend to hate the phrase differently abled because I think it's often used in a very patronizing way. Mm-hmm. 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 But I like one of the core ideas of it, which is that instead of saying – there is an ideal of of like human bodily health that instead it's recognizing like no there's differences you yeah. know I mean mm-hmm. go go ahead if you're jumping no I was just gonna say like I absolutely agree I think one of the big shifts that had to happen for me both in an intellectual academic space and in a kind of more personal space when when coming to terms with what it meant to be disabled was that disability like the dis of disability means not able but mm-hmm. the the reasoning for not being able is not necessarily located in like me it's not a personal responsibility it's not a um like an an immediate flaw with my body it's a flaw with the construction of the world around me and obviously there are elements of my body that like yeah definitely sucks to have chronic pain and like those kinds of things but at the end of the day everybody has tools and if you took away the tools that a regular person has and you left them just by themselves in any environment they would struggle because we're we're in a society where everybody relies on a socially constructed framework that gives them the ability to do things like you know walk out in public and not freeze to death and eat and write and speak mm-hmm. and type and access you know all these other things and there's nobody out there who's not using these tools 
Yeah, I think that's such a good point, and especially as you put it, because we're not just talking about like high technology. We're talking about like you know coats or you know knives mm-hmm. and forks or just the ability to like preserve f- food, whether that's with mm-hmm. salting it or you know freezing it or whatever. And I think one of the things that can happen with science fiction a lot is that either a the world is presented as though there's just no one with disabilities anymore, um, which is you know, it's very it's the medical model as opposed to the social model, and, and as you're talking about, and I think it's it's like it it makes a lot of sense. I think especially to non-disabled people, but it, it, it's very much erasure, mm-hmm. especially to you know because like I do wish I still had my leg, um, but I know many other people for whom you know they they experience the world in a different way than other people. Particularly, I think because I lost mine halfway through my life. I think for a lot of people who were born. Um, certain differences. They're like, no, this is better. I'm, I'm happy that mm-hmm. I'm different. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I just wish that, as you said, the world wasn't built for other people. Which, to give an analogy that maybe a lot of other people can relate to, uh, a lot of my, you, you may be too young to remember this. A lot of my listeners may well be, but I, I went to school at a time when all of the desks were right-handed mm-hmm. because it was just that's what was absolutely assumed. And I remember like I got to – it was my second year of high school when they started changing that. We started having left-handed desks and things like that. Um, but it was a real shift because until then, it, the world wasn't built for me. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot of ways in which you know, um, I love playing guitar, but – I could learn to play guitar left-handed, but then, like, any time a friend, like, hands me a guitar at a campfire, I probably can't play it. Mm-hmm. Um, or I have to flip it upside down or, you know, teach my hands to do something weird. And I don't think left-handedness is considered a disability today. A hundred years ago, it probably definitely was. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, something that, like, um, we, we, we trained out of people. And so I think that's problematic. And I also think the – and I've talked about Daredevil as an example of this, but there's many others – situations where people either use science fiction or magic or some other power that that they present a disabled character but then basically like the the magic or the superpower mm-hmm. makes the disability go away. Yeah. I think that's that's like one of the things that I I don't like to see in media when the when the technology or the magic just makes it go away. I think you know, using a, like a what I what I tend to do is use a, a combination, which is a medical social model, right? So there are medical conditions that mean certain pe- people are going to experience like higher levels of pain, which is going to lead to higher levels of fatigue, which just means less time in your day, and that's like right. not something society can resolve. But one of the like big examples in something like Daredevil, or even something um, like you know in Star Wars media when people lose limbs. The mm-hmm. idea that you could replace it with technology and then it's not a disability anymore is not completely unrealistic. It's just not being handled critically because we don't consider people who require glasses to be disabled in you know most of modern society or at least in in you know America. Like when when you go right. to check the disability box when you know filling out paperwork for an application for something, if you have glasses, that's not something you're considering, even though. By all means, you know, it's vision impairment and that is, you know, considered a disability when it goes past a certain yeah. extent. It's just that we've we've got the technology to basically mean that it's not impacting your daily life. And that's something about the definition yeah. of disability that's really wishy-washy. I think the problem for me in in sci-fi context is when, oh, all the disabilities we know of are erased and none of the new ones are being considered. And none of the small nitty-gritty details are being considered. You know, if you can have a limb replaced via technology, that doesn't mean you're not going to have different, like, sensory motor, in, like, 
experiences. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to clean or upkeep. It doesn't mean it's not going to cost more in the same way that people with glasses have to be more aware of like not scratching them, cleaning them, paying for them to get replaced, those kinds of things. It's just that doesn't necessarily make for like interesting storytelling unless you're paying a lot Mm -hmm. of attention to it. Yeah, it's funny when you brought up that point about Star Wars and limb replacement, I realized like, you know, part is maybe because I saw like I originally watched Star Wars when I was very young. Uh, mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, I lost my leg when I was 21. So like much later. But even when I rewatched and rewatched, I never saw those characters and thought, oh, that person is an amputee. Like, I yeah, am. yep. because you're right, because for me, I have a prosthetic leg. And when things are working well, I can often wear it. And a lot of people will tell me like, oh, you passed. Like, I would have never known, which is not the compliment people think it is. But more to the point, the that idea that I think so often gets wrapped up in that, uh, like, I do. but I think more to the point is just that, yeah, every day I have to clean it. Mm-hmm. Every day I have to mm-hmm. be careful about it. I have gained some weight recently, not a huge amount, like another like 10 pounds or so, but now my leg has trouble fitting mm-hmm. um, the way it used to. When the weather gets hot or the weather gets too cold and just skin, like, you know, contracts or expands it can change the way my my prosthetic leg fits Mm -hmm. and it's why i am and again we're talking about some of the struck media because i think it's okay to reference things because we're not doing a show specifically on any of these things we're just bouncing around a lot yeah but i'll say like i don't think hawkeye was my favorite mcu show i don't think it was many people's favorite mcu show but i think it introduced some great characters Mm -hmm. and for me echo was so powerful because and i think this is i mean my understanding is that they didn't write her as a disabled as a, yeah. well. Actually, they've been back up there. They wrote her as a native deaf character, yeah. and it turned out that the native deaf actress they found also was an amputee. And so they were like, "Oh, great, we'll do we'll do both." But all the stuff about her being an amputee was kind of added by the actress herself, mm-hmm. because there are moments where she like struggles for a second to get her prosthetic leg on, or as a child she kind of hides the prosthetic. She doesn't want people to see it. Um, and in combat, she even uses it once to kind of block because it's like a metal rod. Yeah. And I just – to me, that was really beautiful that in this world of superpowers and, and you know, we don't know much about her yet. But still, she has she has the hearing loss definitely and she also has the, the disability with her, with her leg. Yeah. I think for me, one of the big things about sci-fi and like, you know, oh, we're depicting disabilities as like quote-unquote resolvable through technology. Like resolving things for your mm-hmm. limb replacement or like is the question of is it – is the disabled person there for able-bodied people or is the disabled person there for disabled people? Because like disabled people want to see other people like them who are struggling, who have like issues and are complex. And it's not just that they can get it fixed because not only is that like reductionary of what disability is, but it's not, then they're no longer relatable in the same way. Whereas able-bodied people fear being disabled. And so they want to see a world where if some tragedy happens to them, they can be quote unquote fixed because they fear disability right. and they want, they, they take comfort in seeing these characters become disabled, but it doesn't really matter. Whereas disabled people want to see people come, become disabled and take that on as an identity. Right. And I think that's why, particularly with things like, um, you know, Daredevil perhaps, um, although uh, I, I think this is somewhat true about Daredevil, although I'm not um, visually impaired, so I don't know if I'm the best person to comment on that, but I've certainly seen others who have. But for me, 
like the sort of most recent worst offender in this is Avatar, mm-hmm. where it's this idea of the soldier who's lost the use of his legs through combat. I, I think it's through combat. It might have been something else. But that the Avatar program basically allows him mm-hmm. to walk again. Mm-hmm. And it's this real like – it's an, you know they use all the kind of horrible language of it's a new lease on life and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And that really like – I feel like so much of what it, I love what you said about the fear of disability because I think that's what so much of it comes down to is this idea of I, I am so afraid of that and so I want to see stories about people who can fix that or I want to – the same reason why people go crazy every time there's a, a medical story about, oh, look, there's this you know new breakthrough that for this million-dollar technology that I'm never going to be able to afford, mm-hmm. this person can do something cool with their artificial limb. Yeah, I think – Avatar is one that I've definitely spent quite a lot of time thinking about because I think I'd mm-hmm. seen Avatar before becoming like a wheelchair user and then re-watching it was like really interested in the moment where he, he gets his new body and he's like, he's running and he's, you know, overjoyed. And mm-hmm. there was definitely a moment where like that did resonate with me as a disabled person who like had lost the ability yeah. to run and used to be an athlete. And at the same time, it wouldn't have been hard for them to work in some amount of the struggle of that disability transferring Mm -hmm. into his new context. And I was left to wonder, like, oh, this person's ability to adapt to this new culture in my brain, like, this person is able to take up this entire new world in a radically different way than all of these other people. And to me, that was unseparatable from his disability and like what it means to Mm -hmm. become disabled and then have to approach the world in a whole new way and have to rely on other people and trust other people. And like that was a story that on on surface level, I I, I agree because I think the ables are taking the completely wrong message from it. And also Mm -hmm. as a disabled person, I feel like I now have a really complex relationship with and my sister who's also disabled has a really complex relationship with because she's very young and she's always liked magical and fantasy worlds because they've always been a, a, a like a, a form of escape for her and like not even ones right. that specifically show disability, but she is obsessed with Avatar and like the mm. world of Avatar as magical. And I don't know if she's thinking about the disability aspects, um, but like, again, part of me is wondering, like, is part of what resonates here that this person who is disabled is like exploring a whole new world in a particular way. And mm-hmm. why is that not like addressed more clearly? Why is it that only disabled people are, are thinking about that and able-bodied people are not? Yeah. It, it's a great question. I think there's a couple of reasons that, that come to mind for me. I mean, like I do think, and the film kind of briefly touches on this, but not to the extent that we would want, there is an extent to which disability not only is disability like a place of not being privileged, mm-hmm. but there are ways in which it can take away from other privilege. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Probably a little bit from whiteness, but not really. But certainly, like, and granted, I'm not someone who identifies as as male. I'm non-binary, but I'm certainly mask presenting. And I was, I did identify as a man for most of the time I've been disabled. I, I came out quite recently to myself. And I definitely found that the male privilege that I was aware of decreased significantly if I was in the wheelchair. Yep. And that's a whole other topic we could unpack with superheroes and like, you know, all of the body imagery and stuff like that. But I think there's a way to which I think like there is an extent to which I think any person who is 
<clears throat> experiences a lack of privilege in one part of their life, that that can lead to some empathy and some understanding for others. And I think that there's some real value there, and that's where a lot of um, intersectionality happens, but especially where it's recognizing like, oh, I still have privilege in this area, but I don't in this other. So maybe like the person who doesn't have privilege in either one should be the one speaking for me, even in, in these kind of things. you know. And, and again, that, that's a much larger topic. I'm speaking in generalities. But my point with this is here, I, I think you're kind of right that there there's a little bit of an idea to which Jake, having lost some of his privilege, can maybe understand a little bit more the Native peoples he's dealing with. But in order to, But in order for the film to acknowledge that, the film would have to acknowledge that it's 100% a white savior yeah. uh, narrative, yeah. which is incredibly racist and incredibly yeah. problematic towards Native people. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. And I think to me, like, I wasn't even necessarily thinking about the loss of privilege as correlating to the increase of, like, empathy or something like that. To me, it was, like, on a, on a very physical level, like, learning what it is to navigate the world in a wheelchair what it means to go through doors what it means to interact with people what it means to to like mm-hmm. have to absolutely place your trust in your life in somebody else's hands right like right. it just knocks you down some pegs and and mm-hmm. being able to be confident in a world that's knocking you down those pegs was like where i saw reflected yeah. but the the privilege element i think you know almost swings in the other direction in that movie to me which is that he then regains this privilege as soon as he enters an able body and like mm. does exploit it in yeah. some questionable ways and like ah i just i wish i wish if movies were paying more attention to disability i think they would be so much more interesting because it would be mm-hmm. such a unique like locus point for these other conversations because frankly right. like issues of gender and race and like queerness all end up relating to the physical body as well because men say that oh, yeah. women aren't as able because their body functions x or people of mm-hmm. color aren't as able because like their immediately identified features are x and their bodies function x and like that whole conversation just gets skipped over because what disability is used for is instead of all those things is oh this is why this person's here this is why they're useless before this moment which is so yeah just shallow (laughs) it's that or often especially in stories involving physical violence disability is the way to show that there are consequences Mm -hmm. to violence without removing the character entirely yeah so for example in civil war Rhodey becomes disabled you know or in other things like the 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 some of the clones become like you know amputees they're ones who are less likely to appear on screen now but like it's very rarely about that person's story. It's generally about the story of the others who are like, oh, God, we feel so sorry for them. And that's reminding us that all war is terrible and, and that kind of thing. And so it's the the disabled person is an object lesson instead of an actual fully formed character. Yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, disability as a, as a cliche is like one of my biggest pet peeves is like, it's mm-hmm. just it's just represented so one dimensionally. It's either oh, like, this is a consequence, this is a punishment, this is, you know, the product of evil manifesting itself in some sort of way, or, you know, this is a plot tool, this is a plot device, this is an angle we're going to put so that we can get this character where we need them to go, and it's not, it's not like an actual part of the characters, it's like an add-on. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> well, especially because, like, you know, I know you were talking about being an athlete, both you and I lived a part of our lives as able-bodied and then something changed either gradually or 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 much more quickly in my case 
but that we're not the overwhelming majority by any means. I don't know my my sense is that actually we are the minority, but uh, either way, it's pretty close of people who are just born with disabilities, yeah. you know, who are born with only one leg or born with you know spine problems or or whatever it is. Another thing that I think is a part of this is that, and, and this is true about kind of all media, but I think especially in these stories where we could have so much more, is that. You know, I had Cage Bishop cosplay on uh, a couple of episodes ago who talked about being a black nerd and what that meant to him. And he talked about how important it was to him. You know, he wanted to see stories about superheroes who were dealing with their blackness while being, you know, and dealing with the racism that comes with it. Not like dealing with their blackness, but just, you know, experiencing their their blackness and their black community in a superhero narrative. But also he wanted to see people who just like – they were superheroes and they were black mm-hmm. and like it didn't matter, you know, mm-hmm. and like to me that, yeah, I do want to see uh, a, a, like in some ways Echo is kind of both because yeah. so much of her story is about her hearing loss, but her amputation and her, her prosthetic leg are like barely a part of it. And, yeah. you know, I there, there are definitely some good examples, but I think it's 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 hard to see both. Yeah, I think the, you know, the devil's in the details, which is like. I've heard a lot of people of color complaining about the trope of, you know, people remaking live action movies and just putting a black character in a previously white character's place and saying that that's representation and being like, well, you, like, you changed the skin color, but you didn't change the story. And it doesn't reflect, like, like the experience of, of black people mm-hmm. or brown people. And more than that, like, it, it, the details aren't right because the story was written for a white person. And right. I think the same is true of disability, which is like, I do want to see people who are just disabled and like, it's just a part of their story and they don't, we don't need to see them part. Like the story doesn't need to revolve around them struggling with it or confronting it, but the details have to be right for that to work. You can't just slap right. a disability on someone and call it representation. Yeah. No, I think it's really true. I think it's really good to see it. And, I want to start getting into more specific examples, but I wanted to tell a quick story because this literally happened to me last night. This is part of what got me thinking about being like, okay, we need to make this episode happen ASAP. Uh, yesterday, I was flying home from uh, Las Vegas where I've been for a magic event. And as I normally do, I rolled my wheelchair all the way down to the end of the, the gate, you know, just in that kind of little round area right before you board the plane. And I folded my wheelchair up. I made sure that the the pink tag is on it, that that tags it to let the baggage handlers know, like, it goes back to me. And um, got on the plane and went to my seat, as I always have. And then got off the plane and, uh, you know, was waiting for a while and said, where's my wheelchair? Finally, when someone from baggage, and they're like, oh, we didn't see a wheelchair. And I just said that and walked off. And then I said to a flight attendant, like, where I think they left my wheelchair behind. And they went, oh, Okay. Why don't we like get you like, – we'll get you another wheelchair so we can at least get you up to the gate. We can figure out what happened. And throughout the whole process, I, these folks were all treating it though as though I had lost a bag, you know, as though this was an inconvenience, but it wasn't really a big deal. And they were even willing to, you know, eventually after some coaxing, like – because I do have a prosthetic leg that I can sometimes use, but I'm never going to be able to walk like all the way from the gate to, you know, yep. the end of an airport. Yep. Um, but especially that day, I, you know, I'd had, um, some issues going on and I, I couldn't get my leg to fit that night. So I couldn't use the leg and I had to kind of explain to them, like, look, this isn't, you know, just a, oh, it's a little bit inconvenient. Like I don't have a way to, to get anywhere. And, you know, they, they were like, oh no, no, don't worry. We have a wheelchair you can use. And, 
again there, it was like, well, A, I have a motorized wheelchair, like sort of a, um, I have a specially made like hybrid of electric and manual, but also I'm a large person. I've gained some weight, but even when I was in like great shape, I was a bear. I, um, the normal wheelchair is too narrow for me. I have a specially made wheelchair and I finally got some people to understand and, and get them to realize that like getting it back to me a week later instead of, you know, was not acceptable. And they did get it back to me this morning. But but I realized that like no one – there was a malfeasance. No one was mad at me. No one thought I'm cursed by God. They just didn't understand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why this was such a big deal. And I think that – you know I, I think there's lots of reasons for it. And I'm not you know Tipper Gore trying to like blame everything on, on the media by any means. But I do think the, the fact that we get these stories again and again that don't really – help people understand like i know lots of people who have named their wheelchairs or decorated their wheelchairs and have like kind of the way people do with their cars and they have mm-hmm. a real sort of like a personality to their because it's a, it's a fundamental part of who you are yeah um, i mean people definitely treat it like it's a more of a tool than a full integration into a disabled person's body and life like mm-hmm. wheelchairs are an extension of disabled people's bodies and should be treated as such and just are not yeah and I think that's true for wheelchairs, but it's also true for walkers. It's true yep. for hearing aids. It's true for yep. it's true for glasses. You know, it can be. So, so with that, let's talk about more specific examples. Um, what are some places where you think? Uh, and actually, let's do some of the positive first, because you know we've talked some about a lot of the negatives. Let's let's talk about some of the positives. What are stories where you see disability really being d- done well? Yeah, um, it's not quite sci-fi, but it is definitely fantasy. I think one of my like all-time favorites is Toph from Avatar The Last Airbender. It's not perfectly yes. done, but it's very well done. Um, I think they're... Uh, for those who don't know that character, can you talk about a little bit about yeah. what her disability is so and how it's expressed? Toph is blind. Um, she is also a bender, so she has magical abilities that allow her to um, somewhat on her own accommodate for her blindness, but it's not a perfect system. So when she's on... Uh, structures that are unstable, like things like sand. She can't feel the vibrations in the way that she might be able to elsewhere. Um, And so she does have to rely more on others or other tools. And throughout the show, we see her both um, like using her, like working with her disability and alongside her disability. And we see it impact her life in the way you would expect disability to impact her life. And it is very much like a part of her character that she owns and is aware of and is comfortable in. And that's just really refreshing to me. Yeah, I, I really love those stories. And to me, like one of my favorite scenes with her that really kind of, again, reminded us like, no, she is still disabled. Um, there's there's a, a series of episodes where they're fighting on sand. Mm-hmm. And she talks because it's part of it. She has this sort of mystical connection to the ground. And so that's how she sees things is by hearing the vibrations of, of feeling the vibrations to her feet of how people walk. And so, for example, when she's up on their sky buffalo flying, it's terrifying to her. Or when she's on sand where she can't feel those vibrations, she's blind, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such a brilliant way of being. Like, like you said, yeah, the power compensates to a large extent but it's not perfect yeah i yeah i think it's definitely like she has come up with a system to navigate the world and it works for her and she is fortunate enough to be able to have skills that allow her to have that system but at the end of the day she's Mm -hmm. still a disabled person there's there's one i want to hear more of your examples but there's one other beautiful moment i want to mention which is where they find a sign uh uh, like I think it, it lists like you know some important information on one of their quests, and she asks what it's about, and one of them holds it in front of her. Yeah, and she has to be like, 
guy's not blind. <laughs> yeah. Because the whole thing is that, like, they often can forget, but it's like, no, it still means you can't do those things. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, like, struggling to think of other, like, sci-fi examples right now for some reason. So I'll say that in the the Stormlight Archives by Brandon mm-hmm. Sanderson, which are books that I know many, many people love, I really wrestled with them because the magic system is so dense. Um, every third word is a word he invented. And I just uh, – it, it's one of those like, you know, you learn a language by total immersion. In this one, there's no point of view character who's new to the world. Like you're supposed to as the reader learn by total immersion. Many people love that. I have the most respect for it. I cannot do it. So I couldn't I, – I didn't finish any of the other books, but I did um, – there's a short story book that I wish I could remember the name of. But it's about a woman who um, is disabled and she gets some of the kind of like magic power. A lot of the magic power that they have is through these kind of like uh, artifacts that have magic power in them. And she gets kind of this like magical wheelchair that that she can use, which is really great. But it still has problems, and sometimes it doesn't fit. Sometimes, like sand gets in the gears and stuff like that. And it was just another. It it, it was this beautiful example to me of, like this person gets that technology doesn't instantly make it fit. You know. Yeah. Um, it's just such a big difference. Yeah, I've never read the Stormlight Archives, but I have heard good things about it. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. one of the other characters that I was just I was trying to like jive my brain about characters in sci-fi um i do really enjoy x-men i think that i a lot of people have read x-men as like a analogy for queerness and i think i always read Mm -hmm. it as an analogy for disability disability was present in my life like in family members and i was like chronically ill from birth um and i did always read x-men as an analogy for disability but more specifically there are like x-men who are disabled like professor x Mm -hmm. and i think that's a space where representation is done very diversely across a broad group of people and like disability is done very diversely across a broad group of people for sure and this story isn't told perfectly but one thing i do really appreciate in the um x-men i i I think it's in days of future past where this is brought up but basically there's a point in time where He's able to take drugs that allow him to walk again, mm-hmm. but they also suppress his mutant abilities. Yep. And that at some point in time, he chooses willingly to go back to being unable to use his legs in order to also have the mental power. And it's not really touched on, but it's a powerful lesson of like being in a wheelchair is not the end of the world. Yep. And sometimes like it could be – because I think that is off – again, it's the like, well, anything is better than being in a wheelchair. Like, And, and for a Pastor X, it's like, no, that's not true. Yeah, I think the other story that definitely, like, stuck with me quite a bit was, you know, not all the mutants have abilities that are considered favorable, and I do not remember her name now Mm -hmm. for some ridiculous reason, but, like, the girl who touches people. Yeah, uh, Rogue. And the the storyline where it's like, oh, we have the ability to cure mutants, and, you know, she's interested in that and gets in line, and there are other mutants who are like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? seems resonant of discussions that happen in disabled communities all the time because like there are deaf people who think cochlears are like you know destroying the deaf community and then there are deaf people who are like cochlears are allowing people to hear again this is amazing and it's so much more complicated than a than a fix-all solution that is a lot of time presented in media i think that's so true and i think um with deafness especially i know many not all but many deaf people don't even consider that to be a disability they consider it yeah. to be a, a difference yep. and so it's always a little tricky talking about it but i think you're right it's a very good in many ways that plot line 
which I know is told both in comics and in the animated show and in, in the movies, is a great analogy for that um, in the deaf community, but also in a lot of other communities. You know, I think there's there's definitely um, like I am happy being on my prosthetic leg quite a lot. Excuse me. I, I am happy being on my prosthetic leg quite a lot. I know amputees who just don't ever want it. Mm-hmm. I know other people who have, you know, like nerve damage to their legs or something like that. And they could learn to walk with crutches or something like that, but they've chosen very consciously not to. And I think that that's, th- these are all viable options. Yeah. I think I, you know, my, the genetic condition I have is Ehlers-Danlos and it's like incredibly complex and incredibly painful. And for me, it manifests mostly as just extreme amounts of pain and an inability to walk or stand. And yeah. People often ask me, like, would, if you could press a button, like, would, to make it go away, would you? And I'm honestly surprised that I think 99% of the time my answer is actually no. That I do think being a disabled person is like a a way of life that has just changed me so drastically in positive and neutral ways that I now value that, like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't undo it and I wouldn't go back and, like, say it had never happened but then there are definitely the days where I'm like, I'm just in so much pain that I like, I would do anything to make this stop. And it's mm-hmm. that, that's what I like about, you know, things going on in, in particularly the X-Men universe is that it does go back and forth and it does fluctuate. And the superhero abilities are seen at the same time, both like new types of disabilities and new types of like superhero powers, which is, I think something yeah. that's maybe going to become a discussion in the boys at some point or in that universe at some point. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to see where that goes. Me too. Me too, for sure. And it, it's funny, you were talking about those reasons. I, I Perhaps this is a little more self-focused, but I was thinking, well, if I get my legs back, um, I don't get to cut the line all the time when I like fly or <laughs> yeah. things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, my my now spouse said that she was for, like, you know, she made a joke of like, we should get married someday. The first time we flew to Japan and just, <clears throat> there was this like two hour customs line and we just like cut right through it. Yep. Um, but yeah, but also all that, you know, as I said before, like I don't think I would have my understanding of toxic masculinity and like I, I even though I'm not male, I, I, I was very – and I, this is such a sticky topic. I want to be very clear. I'm only speaking for myself. There are mm-hmm. many trans people who were never enculturated into the gender that they were assigned at birth. Absolutely. I was. Um, I absolutely was raised and had a lot of male – you know, toxic male, uh, toxic masculinity and male, the attendant male privilege ingrained in me. And I've had a long journey of unpacking it and, and breaking it down and a journey that isn't over and will probably mm-hmm. continue most of my life. But my disability has been a really big part of that. Um, I, I, in a way that I think it's super important. I mean, I was, I'm, I was assigned female at birth. I identify mostly as female now. And I had a lot of toxic masculinity that needed unpacking by nature of just like Mm -hmm. the area I grew up in. And I do think disability contributed to that unpacking and contributed to like understanding even what people of color are talking about or immigrants are talking about when like they talk about being hyper visible. It's like, Oh, I was in a wheelchair and suddenly everybody was staring at me and like, Oh, this is what people mean. And like, you shouldn't, we shouldn't have to have disabled experiences to be able to understand those things and like it's an unfortunate thing that like i had to become disabled to understand that and i i Mm -hmm. there's no guarantee i wouldn't have come to understand it at some point anyway but i was young and i do think that like the way that disability hit me did just create like it it tore down my world which meant that i had to refigure out everything which means i had to go back to point zero and i had to say okay what does the world actually look like? And that's like, mm-hmm. 
an invaluable experience. Yeah. No, I think that's very true. And I think there's so much there that you talk about because it it's not easy if not one side or the other. Like mm-hmm. I think one thing that can be very dangerous, to be honest, and I have seen this with disability, but I've also seen like I, I, I've seen this in a number of situations where people who are used to having a great deal of privilege mm-hmm. suddenly have one part in their life that they don't have privilege. Mm-hmm. And it's that there can be this idea of, oh, so therefore it erases all your other privilege, you know? And mm-hmm. like, yes, I'm disabled. And like, you know, that you put a person who like a a black trans woman in 90% of the situations is going to be a lot – is going to str- – there's going to be a lot more struggles that person deals with in the world mm-hmm. than I will. Yeah. But that person can walk up a flight of stairs yep. and I can't. Yep. And, and, you know, and – but that the same thing is to be like for them – and, and this is what I think I see all the time is when it then becomes, oh, well, because I'm disabled, I understand all your struggles entirely yeah, and yeah. we're just the same. And I think that's one where, you know, there are a lot of ways that one kind of struggle can help inform you about other kinds of struggles. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just purely, you know, a understanding across things. In some, it's because it's similar. Mm-hmm. I've – one of the most important events that I ever attended was a conference that was specifically on trans and disability and looking at all the ways that they're linked and, you know, from everything from, like, the question of passing to the question of, um, you know, the medicalization of both situations and all the questions people can ask you. And it was great, um, but it wasn't the same. And I think that it, that's an easy mistake for people to make. Yeah, I think for me, <clears throat> what, like, the spot I was able to get to was it became so clear that nobody who wasn't disabled understood disability and then it became Mm -hmm. so much easier to understand okay i'm not trans i'm not black i'm not an immigrant i'm never going to understand these things and like i have to just stop at a certain point trying to intellectualize and and understand and imagine myself in scenarios and just listen to the people who are saying things because like no one's ever gonna like i know that these able-bodied people are never gonna get disability and so that needs to be turned around as well but I, but I think you're right because, you know, one of the things I think that you hear so often in any representation discussion is that a lot of times there's, all, you know, all the microaggressions, all the little things that happen, not necessarily even aggressions, but just little things that your life is different that are – I can genuinely – generally understand some ideas of racism, but there's levels of which that I'm never going to understand mm-hmm. and in the same way with disability. And I think that's part of why – Having these stories told, as you said, they they get it wrong. Like with Echo's story, there were so many of these just little moments that I saw. And I know we're getting her own show. It might be her own movie. And like who knows what's happening now in the strike. And I don't want anything done until the strike's over. Hopefully it's happening soon. Amen. But – exactly. But like for me, I know as a disabled person, one of the things that I have to do that most people – like most people would think like, oh – they lost your wheelchair. That's bad. There was a flight of stairs. You didn't know there were stairs. That's bad. I don't think most people, my friends, understand that, like, I will often ask them for a lot of details about plans that other people are arranging, or I'll want to arrange the plans. And part of it's because I have to very carefully plan out how am I going to approach the world? Yep. You know? You know, I might think, oh, friends of mine want to go out and we're just going to go to this one restaurant and then sing some karaoke there and then come back. And I'll think, cool, I could just take my prosthetic leg. But then I find out, oh, and yeah, they want to just, you know, then take a 10 block walk to this great dessert place. I I can't do that. Right. Or the flip side, I bring my wheelchair. You know, I mean, 
often if I bring my wheelchair, I'm going to wear shorts so that I can take my leg on or off. But if we're going out somewhere fancy, then maybe I should bring pants or maybe I should bring a change of clothes or all this kind of stuff. And again, I want to be careful this podcast doesn't just become about you and my issues, but they're, they're worth talking about. But it's just more to say, like, this is why that kind of representation matters so much. Yeah. You know? And I, that think- I, I want to see some – go ahead. I was just going to say, I think, like, I think the reason – that like we keep turning back to personal experiences is just because they're experiences that are not depicted in media. It would be so easy to just add like this small detail of like watching a character change their pants because they went out to a nicer place or, you know, Mm -hmm. watching someone who's in a wheelchair go, Oh, actually like we need to go this way because like I can't go that way. Like those are such tiny moments you can write into a story without adding time without adding additional sets without really Mm -hmm. changing anything and just paying attention to those details which i think you know it goes to you need disabled people in the story writing process and directing process on set but like just having those details and showing those experiences is so important to teaching other people who have no idea that these are the considerations we go through every day when we go out into the world. And the reason they have no oh, yeah. idea is because these experiences are only something that are talked about when two disabled people get into the same room and talk about them. Well, and I, I think that's so true. And the more I think about it, I also wonder, you, you know, if I as a white person watch a story of racism – I want to empathize. I want to sympathize. But there's some part of me that's always going to know that not only am I not black, I'm never going to be black. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be indigenous. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people that that, that it, it makes it almost safe to watch that because yeah. it's never going to be you. The medical reality is – I don't know. There's some statistics I saw that said 100%. I don't think that's true. But in a huge amount of people – will become disabled at some point in their life, either temporary, like, you know, and it mm-hmm. might just be like you badly break your ankle and so you're in a wheelchair for a year yeah. or six months or even just a month. Or it could be, you know, you know, just that one doctor's visit where all of a sudden they tell you, yeah, your eyes are really starting to fail or something in your brain is changing or, you know, just you fall down a flight of stairs and your knee's never quite the same again. Mm-hmm. And, and so I do wonder if maybe that's also part of it, is that because – like uh, what you said about the fear, I wonder if this is part of that fear is that it's because most people on some level know they always could – anyone could become disabled at any time in a way that's not true for a lot of the other kind of areas of privilege. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the hesitations of putting disabled people on screen and seeing them have any sort of complication. I also do just think it comes down to like they it people treat disabled people like they're aliens and like – Mm-hmm. And the presence of disabled people in sci-fi like shows that like they literally just have no idea where to even start because your average person has no idea that like I pay attention to which doors are slightly wider in building so that I have a lower probability mm-hmm. of bumping into a door when I go in and out of it just because it's awkward. And like, yeah, you just you're literally seeing the world in a different way that people are just absolutely not thinking about because they're not no one's thinking about the nitty-gritty detail of like oh what does it mean to have this character without an arm put on a shirt and would they put it on differently you know there's a there's a trope i think in a lot of science fiction or or fantasy uh and like the jedi temple is definitely like this where, where you see characters sort of like walking up this long flight of stairs and it's a way to show like often not a flight of stairs but like outdoor stairs Mm -hmm. and it's a way to show like the majesty of this building 
And I've always wondered, where's the wheelchair entrance to um, the Jedi Temple? You mm-hmm. know, like, I, I hope there is one, but we're certainly never going to see it. All we was, see is, you know. Go I, was, ahead. I was actually thinking about that exact thing the day because, oh my goodness, I cannot remember his name. There's another disabled TikTok creator, and I will try and get their name to you after this. So I'll go look it up and find it. And they make videos mm-hmm. that are like, would it be accessible or not? Or like, would they be an ally or not? And one of the things that came up was like the Death Star is like almost absolutely accessible. And I was like, oh, yeah, we never put stairs like with the exception of like gothic kind of aesthetics. A lot of times in sci-fi, the places without stairs are really clean and sterile and evil looking and like where the Mm -hmm. scientists are and the bad guys are because they lack detail and sophistication. And so there's no stairs. And it's like, oh, oh, that's so interesting. I don't. It, it was just something that I was thinking about because in Star Wars specifically, all the bad guy places are super like clean and and like almost hospitally and really mm-hmm. uh, accessible looking. And all the good guy places, I mean, partially by nature of the fact that like in a rebellion on the run, but they're all way less accessible looking because they're grittier and and you know in these old ancient areas that are like super mm-hmm. leveled and sprawling. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's very true. Like. I'll, it, and it's one thing I was thinking about recently because, you know, I was I'm trying to think where I was. Oh, I was in this convention center hotel uh, over the weekend when I was in Vegas. And for some reason, I just kept noticing the, you know, fire safety signs. And one thing they all said is, you know, in case of fire, use stairs. Yeah. Which is just and – and I get that. Like, I like it's not that – like, of all the ways that I want buildings to be dis- disability, uh, you know, made more accessible – Making the elevators fireproof is pretty low down on my list, but yeah. it's just one more of those things. I'm glad we brought up that because I do want to talk about as kind of a last topic, because I kind of think it's going to tie everything together, because I know you and I are both such huge Star Wars fans. So we've joked a lot about this. We talked a little bit about with the amputees and things like that. But overall, how do you feel like Star Wars handles disability? I think that in a lot of ways... Okay, I think the original trilogy is super, super problematic, mostly because of the fact that Luke's losing his hand is then portrayed as his like similarity with Vader and Vader is portrayed as monstrous because of the fact that he is largely made of robotic components and like that Mm -hmm. whole analogy going on there. Don't like it. I think in more recent years, Star Wars has gotten much better. I think the prequels did a much better job. I think we see Anakin, you know, losing his hand and kind of dealing with that a little bit more. I think we see, um, you know, we see a, just health portrayed a little bit more in the prequels. And then I think by the time we've gotten to Disney owning star Wars, I know there are several novelizations that really intricately and well, like in, in a well done way, handle disability. I think there are a couple mm-hmm. episodes of the clone wars where we see disabled people a little bit more favorite favorably. I think things like rogue one and saw Gerrera was a good, like this person is clearly disabled. I have no idea how, uh, I don't know the specifics at all, but they're just here and they're just being disabled. And and it's not a part of the story at all, but that was just refreshing to see. And I know Saw Carrera's people have, his portrayal is not necessarily mm-hmm. entirely positive. But like, for me, that was just, I was just like, oh, cool, disabled person. Um, and I, I think they're getting better at it. And I think that it's a, it's a complex bag of beans because mm-hmm. Star Wars is so all over the place when it comes to representation of all forms and its development yeah. since the 70s. <laughs> Yeah, that's a story that's been told over more than 45 years. Um, and it's, it's so interesting, though, because some of the examples you brought up, um, like Saw, I had a wildly different interpretation of because 
you know, he clearly, well, he walks with a limp and actually he has a prosthetic leg, which is, you know, I think, uh, you know, awesome. That that was cool to see. But the, the way his body is mechanicized, especially like the way he sort of uses a, a breathing mask, to me is very reminiscent of Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was supposed to, to represent, um, you know, that you know that because you know how anakin fell is by you know wanting to go to extreme methods to do what he thought was right and then of course also protecting padme yeah um and that's kind of saw's problem here is that he's also willing to like torture people to find Mm -hmm. out if they are spies or they're here to help him and that kind of thing yeah um but 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 i think it's it's here's the thing it's because we have so few characters right that it's like oh yeah well that's one of the three yeah um a lot of times for me, I'm just like, oh, I'm so refreshed to see a disabled character. And I'm not even thinking about like, oh, how are the Abolds going to read this in terms of like, yeah, this this <clears throat> is supposed to be a negative. Oh, OK. Yeah. No, I get that. And I definitely agree with you on the original trilogy, although I I would say and granted, I perhaps I'm overly critical of the prequels. And that's that's a very fair comment to make. I think the most like ableist moment in all of Star Wars comes in the prequels because to me, I think some of the best disability representation in the original trilogy is Yoda. Yes. Because I Yoda agree. is kind of stumped older. He he walks with a cane, which yep. you know is a kind of disability. And he still has this incredible power to lift this X-Wing out mm-hmm. from a swamp, let alone to like, you know, read the future and to help train Luke and all these things. We again see him as this, like, you know, disabled person using a cane. He can't really even stand upright all the time. And then it becomes time for the lightsaber battle. Yeah. And he just throws his cane away and becomes this acrobatic little green ball bouncing around the lightsaber. And everyone else thought this was so cool. And I was so angry. Yeah. I think I, you know, I started to think about Yoda as you were talking. And I thought about him in the context of the original trilogy and positive. I didn't even think about the prequel implication i think ah i go so far back and forth because like my initial reaction Mm -hmm. to that i think was like oh why is he doing like it just felt out of place but i am also an ambulatory wheelchair user who and i'm not sure if i could do this now but i think a year and a half ago like in the in the recent past while i was using a wheelchair full-time was training two three times a week over the summer in taekwondo and got my third degree black belt because i would just use my wheelchair all day long and the very little energy that i had all went into Mm -hmm. this project and it was very limited i had maybe an hour or two where i could perform at that level and then it fell apart and i was in excruciating pain the next day but like this was something that i wanted to work towards and to me in that initial fight with dooku and and later in the fight with Palpatine, you know, Yoda is pretty exhausted by the end. And I think they do it a little mm-hmm. better in the fight with Dooku than they do in the fight with Palpatine. And it definitely feels out of place in a lot of ways. But I'm not... Yeah. And I don't... And the other thing is, I, I also know there's no way the writers of the show was thinking about it in that way. or or And, yeah. it, and, and it could have been treated in a much more nuanced and interesting way that would have depicted ambulatory or, or dynamic disability. Um, but I think to me there was something kind of relieving about, oh, these this disabled character can tap into the force for these moments of energy where they really need to perform at a level yeah. that they otherwise cannot. And as a as, particularly as a martial artist, that was that was interesting to me. Um, 
even though obviously there are it's mm-hmm. beyond the pale i think i think i can definitely understand that and that makes a lot of sense and i like i like you i'm also ambulatory and then i i use my prosthetic leg a lot i'm using it less these days but and, and again that's the kind of planning for me often mm-hmm. is the way you were kind of like planning your day around this you know if i'm going on a four-day trip and i know this night we're gonna go out dancing i'll be like, okay so i will absolutely not use my leg except mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's you know, it's it's both saving up energy, but it's also like I start to get scabs. I mean, there's this whole other thing. Yep, yep. And I think it, it comes back to what we were saying before. It's not that I would say like, no, Yoda has to use the cane always and forever. It's that I just want that one line of dialogue. Yep. You know, it's mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, uh, Bail Organa coming to him in the ship and being like, are you okay? And he say, I had to draw deeply on the force so yep. that I could use my body to fight. And now... I really have to rest, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some, some acknowledgement that his fighting was radically different than his using the cane and that there's a cost to him of using all of that, you know, energy or spoons or whatever the heck you, or force or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, that goes back to like, it's, there's so many different ways to portray disability. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to like, get it so unbelievably wrong the question is what's the message what's the story what's the reasoning and is this a is this an add-on or is this a part of the character and if it's a part of the character why are there not these little details that there absolutely could and should be to send a clear message to your audience like this person is disabled and that's okay and we're not using this as a metaphor or allegory or a negative or drawback or a a, a weird add-on to create some sort of effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think that's it's as you said before. It's very clear there wasn't a disabled person in that writing room. Yeah. I don't think it was written in a writing room, and I think the writing of you know, well, never mind. Um, but like, um, you know, I think and and I don't think they were trying to tell a story about how Yoda is a person of variable ability. Yeah. You know, and a fluid ability. I think they just thought watching a little green ball of fur bounce around with a lightsaber would look really cool. So let's yep. do it. And didn't think about what the implications were. I agree. I agree. Well, this has been such a good discussion. I'm really glad we got to have it. We, I know we just barely scratched the surface, but I hope we give uh, listeners kind of a good introduction. Uh, is there any other last points that you want to bring up? Uh, and I will say for our members, we're going to talk a little bit more about Ahab and disability in the uh, members only section. But just in uh, in general, kind of is there any other last points you wanted to make? Yeah, I don't think so. I think, you know, at the end of the day, for me, uh, sci-fi representation and any representation of disability just comes down to, like, have you interacted with disabled people? And are you considering disabled people as disabled people, not just, like, people with a a disability slapped onto them? Yeah. Yeah. And and I I think the phrase people there is so important because, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, like, you and I have a particular – you and I are – share a lot of similar opinions, but also probably see some things differently. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, like, you know, you might go to one disabled person who – I know there are, you know, some visually impaired people who, you know, understand the story of Daredevil and think it's absolutely amazing. And some who think it's incredibly, you know, offensive. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and a lot of people who are like, yeah, it's just not – it's a fun story, but it's not the best – I don't feel represented in it. And, and yeah, so it's like with any community, it's important not just have, like, you know, your one disabled friend, but – all the rest of it. Well, thank you as always so much. Uh, for people who want to find more of the cool content you're putting out, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, I am on Instagram. I do art at um, Iron Kingdom Adventures. And then I'm on TikTok at AK Maiden. 
Yeah. Definitely worth checking out. Um, really glad. I love all your content. Love following it. Definitely encourage other people to do so. And of course, you should follow our content. We're, t- we're active on TikTok, on Twitter. I may be doing more stuff on Facebook again. I kind of dropped out for a little while, but I may be doing that again. Uh, but also, you can certainly email us. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear your comments. Uh, if you're disabled, like who are characters that have really felt uh, did represent you or didn't? What are the points of the conversation we missed out? If you're able-bodied or just, you know, it, it's not two firm boxes. There's lots of middle ground. But wherever you sit, what do you think about this discussion? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? What did you wish we touched on or think we should have approached a different way? Write in. We'd love to hear us. And of course, also, uh, if you just go to The Ethical Panda, uh, you'll you'll get there. But but also, if you just follow the links in the show notes, there especially you can find out how to become a member. It's only $5 a month, and membership gets you uh, ad-free content, bonus content, and it's just a great way to support the show. So, AK, thank you again so much. Uh, for everyone else, we have spoken. Run!